self. Preoccupation with self is a defining characteristic of the culture we live in, isn't it? Our culture is consumed with self-gratification, self-promotion, self-fulfillment, self-enrichment, self-preservation. We're told to be true to ourselves, to care for ourselves, to love ourselves, to believe in ourselves, to be ourselves. Now, we might think that all of this preoccupation with self would be producing the happiest, most secure, at peace, mentally together people in human history. But statistics and simple observations suggest just the opposite. There are more people feeling lost and alone and depressed and confused about who they are and what life is about than ever before. Some would argue that that is only appears to be that way, that things are only appearing to be getting worse because we are so much more informed about this stuff now than we have ever been. In the past, they would say that people were simply in denial or unaware of these kinds of troubles. Maybe, maybe not. The trouble may have to do with the ever-increasing preoccupation with self, and the cure, the fix, the prescription that we need is what Jesus taught, rather than what our self-absorbed culture is pushing. Jesus taught self-denial and sacrifice. Now those are scary ideas in our current self-absorbed culture. Self-denial and sacrifice. That's what Jesus taught. Martin Luther, expressing the teachings of Jesus, said, To fight against sin is to fight against the devil, the world, and oneself. The fight against oneself is the worst fight of all. Martin Luther said that his greatest struggle was not against the devil or against the world, but against his self. And I have found the same to be true in my life. Self is the most troublesome of all of my foes. Well, we left off last time with a conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. He asked them who people were saying he is, and his disciples said the people were saying he's John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or another prophet, like one of the ones from the Old Testament days. And then Jesus asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, in typical Peter fashion, boldly said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus then began to tell the disciples what was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem. He said he was going to be rejected by the leaders of the people and would suffer and be killed. Peter and the others, they couldn't accept that. What Jesus was saying was contrary to what they had all been taught and believed about the Messiah their whole life. The Messiah was supposed to be a symbol of strength and power, not weakness. The Messiah was supposed to come and reign in power and overthrow Israel's enemies and become their great king. Peter rebuked Jesus, telling him he had it all wrong. Jesus then rebuked Peter, telling him that he didn't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That Peter was thinking from a very limited, earthbound human perspective 
rather than seeing the larger, more important, eternal perspective of God and God's better, larger intentions for humanity to give us a real hope and future. Well, today we're going to look at the rest of that conversation, which continues in verse 24 of Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can someone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Well, that's some pretty strong medicine. I want people to want to follow Jesus, so my natural inclination is to emphasize all of the benefits and the blessings associated with following Jesus. Jesus will give you a better life. Your sins will be forgiven. Your guilt before God will be removed. Your life will have a new level of purpose and meaning. You will be changed, becoming more and more like Jesus in character. You will have the hope of heaven to look forward to. Now, all of those things are true. But that's not the approach that Jesus uses here. We want an easy button to push for following Jesus. But Jesus makes it really clear that easy is not the road that he's traveling. Jesus said it this way in another teaching he gave on the same topic back in Matthew 7, verse 13, when he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. But let's take a closer look at this passage. Verse 24, he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Many of the people in Jesus' day were caught up in the excitement of the moment, the miracles that they were seeing Jesus do, the interesting stories that he was telling, Jesus challenging established traditions of the religious leaders, speculations were swirling around about whether Jesus was the Messiah or not, and when he was going to lead a rebellion against the Romans. These were exciting times for them. But Jesus, he slams the brakes on all of that. Instead of this being a time of high-fiving each other as they wait for the Messiah to bring the hammer down on Israel's enemies, Jesus tells them it's a time for sober reflection about whether where their loyalty really resides and whose kingdom they are really living for. And the same is true for us in our day. It is a time for sober, sober reflection about where our loyalty really resides and whose kingdom we are really living for. Jesus begins by saying, whoever wants to be my disciple, for anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus, to be his disciple, this is what he calls them to do. Now, I want to address something here before we go any further. There is an idea that has been taught in some church circles that there are Christians, and then there is a higher class of Christians called disciples. They say, 
A person becomes a Christian by accepting Jesus into their life as their Savior. And a disciple is a Christian who is then seeking to really follow Jesus with their life. There's no such thing as that in the Bible. In the Bible, there are only Christians who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are disciples. Christian equals follower of Jesus equals disciple. They're all one and the same. You might be a very lousy, disobedient disciple, but this two-tier idea is a human invention. It's not taught in the Bible. So when we read about disciples and Jesus followers and Christians in the Bible, it's all talking about the same people. When you hear me talk about disciples and followers of Jesus and Christians, I'm talking about all the same people. If you are a Christian in the Bible teaching way, then you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you're not a Christian. Because that's what a Christian is, a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's simple. Well, there are two requirements that Jesus gives in this verse for a person to be his follower, to be a disciple, to be a Christian. Denial of ourself and take up our cross. Denial of ourself. What does Jesus mean? He doesn't mean to give something up for the sake of a cause or as a demonstration of our devotion to God. That's what people commonly think of as denial of self, but Jesus is talking about something far more significant, far more demanding, far more inconvenient, far more difficult than giving up ice cream for the week. Jesus means to renounce ourself, to cease to make ourself the object of our life and actions. It involves a fundamental reorientation of our whole point of view about life. God, not me, becomes the center of my life. And that then leads to also making others of more concern than myself. I make Jesus the driver of my life. I hand him the keys to me. And I let him call the shots, deciding where I go and what I do. We are by nature devoted to ourself above everything else. The first sin ever committed by a human beings, was the placement of self above God. The root of every sin is the placing of self above God and others. So to deny ourself is to go against the grain of the nature we are each born with. So it shouldn't come as a surprise if this sounds really uncomfortable. In order to do it, what Jesus is calling us to do, we need the new nature that Jesus gives us when we come to him in faith and we're born again. The Holy Spirit grows this new nature in us as we follow Jesus. This denying of ourself is something that we should see increasing in us as we follow Jesus. Matthew Henry said the first lesson in Christ's school is self-denial will not always be perfectly denying ourselves, but self-denial is a fundamental characteristic of a disciple of Jesus, of a follower of Jesus, of a Christian. 
take up our cross. What does it mean to take up our cross? Well, the picture is that of Jesus condemned unjustly, carrying his cross on the way to the place of crucifixion with a jeering mob mocking and scorning him along the way. Taking up our cross is a life in full submission to the will of God in the most radical way imaginable. You remember how Peter tried to talk Jesus out of going through with taking up his cross. We talked about, we looked at this last time actually, and instead he told Jesus to pursue the popular idea of the day of a conquering Messiah. Well, Jesus, he refused to do that, even though it would have been much easier and more convenient and more exciting in the moment to do that. Instead, he followed the will of God for his life, even though it would mean rejection and suffering and death. To take up our cross means to live like Jesus, in full submission to the will of God, even to the point of death, if it would be required of us. That's wild to think about. There's a teaching in some church circles that says if we pray with enough faith, we can expect to receive all that we hope for. A new car, a new home, a new job, big bank account. I'm not sure where that idea comes from, but it isn't what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that the way to real life lies along the path of Self-denial, denying of ourselves, and taking up our cross. The old Scottish preacher of the 1800s, Robert Murray McShane, wrote, Everyone that gets to the throne must put their foot upon the thorn. The way of the crown is by the cross. We must taste gall if we are to taste glory. This kind of stuff may not be what people want to hear, but it is what Jesus taught. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we're going to say no to ourself and yes to God. Verse 25, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus warns us that if we live for ourselves rather than deny ourselves, if we pursue a self-centered life, living a life of me first, we will lose the very thing we have spent our life living for, our life. We will have nothing in the end. But if we will lose our life for Jesus, if we will choose to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, living in submission to the will of God, if we will put Jesus and his kingdom first in our life, we will truly live. That's what he says. In the hit Star Wars Universe TV series, The Mandalorian, and I know some of you are like, oh, I love that show. There's a phrase that was popularized this is the way. Do you remember that? This is the way. It refers to the code of the Mandalorians that they live by. They would say, this is the way. Well, I know it will come as a shock to some of you, but the Mandalorian and the Star Wars universe, they are fictional. They're not real. 
The kingdom of God is real. And there is a way that the followers of Jesus live by. This is the way of Jesus. We give to receive. We serve to lead. We die to live. This is the way. Even on a purely natural level, we see the truth of the way of Jesus proved out. Go to a few funerals and listen to what is said about the people who have died. The things remembered and honored and appreciated when people talk about the person is their selfless giving and their serving and the sacrifice that they have made for others. A person who has died is never honored for their selfishness or their pride or their cowardice. Never. One of the things I always admired about Billy Bob was how selfish he was. He was always looking out for himself. I want to be just like him. Billy Bob was such a coward. He was spineless. He never stood up for anyone or anything of any consequence. I love that about him. I loved how Billy Bob never lifted a finger to help anyone. It was always all about him. I will never forget the wonderful lessons that he has taught me about how to be a self-centered jerk. We don't hear that in funerals. Don't listen to the lies of our foolish, self-centered culture. Self-centeredness leads to death. Selflessness leads to life. A life dedicated to the service of Jesus Christ and His kingdom leads to the greatest life you can possibly live on this planet. George MacDonald said, You will be dead so long as you refuse to die. Verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? These are question, questions that every person should seriously ask themselves. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? With these questions, Jesus, he emphasizes the incomparable worth of our soul, the eternal part of us. Not even the whole world compares to the value of our soul. Our eternal soul is priceless. Considering the value of our soul, why would we pursue a life devoted to self and end up losing our priceless soul? Why would we not be willing to face even death in this life when we consider that our eternal soul is at stake? You know, there are stories about people selling their souls to the devil for things in this life. Those stories might make for interesting entertainment. But they're all fiction and utterly foolish. There's nothing in this world worth your eternal soul. Jesus said not even the whole world compares to the value of our soul. 
27. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus Himself, He's coming back in His divine glory as the Son of God, accompanying by an army of angels to execute judgment upon the earth and reward His faithful followers. There's promised reward for those who follow the way of Jesus in this life. The reward is real. And it's part of our hope as His followers. We have an eternal inheritance with Jesus waiting for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the writer wrote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, referring to all of the believers who came before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're told to consider Jesus, to think about how he lived his life and the reward that he received so we will not grow weary and lose heart in this life ourselves. It says the joy set before Jesus was a motivator for enduring the cross and denying himself. And that same joy set before us motivates us to endure the cross and deny ourselves. Well, how do we respond to these words of Jesus? First, if you are not a follower of Jesus, these words of His, they ought to set off a bit of a panic in your heart. The life you've chosen to pursue is a life that, according to Jesus, is going to ultimately lead to great loss. There's no reward in self-centered life. There's no honor in it. The person who chooses to align him or herself with this world will be on the wrong side when Jesus comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. But the invitation is being extended to you. Right now, to choose to follow Jesus, to give up your life to Him and for Him. It will be too late to choose sides later when He comes back or when you die. Choose sides now. Become a follower of Jesus now. Second, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you have been playing both sides, then see this is your wake-up call. It's time for you to declare your allegiance and start living like it. If you've chosen to live a life of spiritual convenience and ease, then consider this your wake-up call. Cry out to the Lord to light the fire in your heart and to give you a stronger sense of calling and a stronger passion for the things of the Lord and a stronger sense of responsibility to Him and to your fellow human beings. Finally, if you are a follower of Jesus, and as best as you know how, you have put your trust in Him as your Savior, and you are following Him, 
But these words of Jesus, they, they've caused you to worry about your place with him. I want to encourage you. I want you to notice that Jesus said nothing here about perfection being the criteria that he would use to judge your place with him. Do we have a perfect faith? Do we have a perfect denying of self? Do we have a perfect taking up of our cross and following him? Do we have a perfect obedience to God's will? No, none of us do. But our heart's desire is for these things, and we are actively walking with Jesus in that direction. We depend entirely on his great work in his own dying on the cross to make us right before God, making us his children. We don't depend on our dying and our carrying of our cross. We depend on his only through the new life that Jesus puts in us and the Holy Spirit is growing in us. Are we able to even live the kind of life that Jesus has called us to? A life like the one that Jesus lived in submission to the will of God. So I want to encourage you to keep walking with Jesus, trusting in his love and grace that are yours in him. So as a final thought, Charles Spurgeon famous English preacher of two centuries ago. He understood the destructiveness of the preoccupation with self when he said this in his latter years about his prayers. He said, I have now concentrated all my prayers into one, and that one prayer is this, that I may die to self and live wholly for him. Let's make that our prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the words of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you have preserved them in our Bibles so that we can read them and study them and ponder them and be challenged by them, Lord. Lord, our prayer today is the same as Spurgeon's was, that we would die to ourself and live holy for you. We ask that you would make that so in us. This is a tall calling, Lord, to deny ourself and to pick up our cross and follow you. From the first second we open our eyes in the morning, our, our thoughts are about ourselves. And we look to your grace and your goodness, Lord, to reorient us so that we think of you rather than us. We think of others rather than us, Lord. We need you to change our minds and our hearts, change our nature, Lord, to be like yours. Make that so on us, Lord Jesus. In your name we ask these things. Amen.